The following message is entitled, True Teachers, Confronting Quitting, Confronting Error, Part 7. This message was given during the morning service on March 19, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. For the sake of the recording, we're still in the kind of church God wants, the top of the note sheet for those in the auditorium. That is the overriding topic of 1 Timothy as I've given it. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are the known as the pastoral epistles, but more accurately, the church epistles, how a local church is to operate and function. The Spirit of God believed it would take three and needed three books on that topic alone. How important is that? You have four books on the life of Christ, and you have three books on the condition of the church and how the church is to run. Right behind the life of Christ, this is singularly the second most important thing that Christians need to get a handle on. We need to know what is a Christ-like biblical church. We need to go there and not ever go to one that doesn't fulfill these criteria. And I continue with the same sermon title that I've had for the last six sermons on this, True Teachers Confronting Quitting and Confronting Error. It starts off in verses 1 to 20 of 1 Timothy 1 with your first priority in your note sheet. God wants true teachers and pure doctrine in our churches. That's really where you start with any local church. You're not looking for flash, dance, music, um, miracles, speaking in tongues or the, the like. What you're to look for is what the Bible says is first and most important. And the first topic that the Bible says a biblical church is to make supreme is the teaching of the Word of God. Something that the rebellious evangelical church today and Christians don't want much to do with. Verses 1 to 20, then, the first whole first chapter of 1 Timothy, one sixth of this epistle is on God wants true teachers and pure doctrine in our churches. And underneath that, the first Roman numeral, we've already seen the church was founded by Christ and the apostles, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The power of Christianity are those mind-blowing power terms, grace, mercy, and peace, which we studied extensively. Roman numeral 2 in your note sheet, true teaching confronts false doctrine in the church and promotes true doctrine, verses 3 to 7. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain out at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Starts right with the issue of heresy in verse 3. Now to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith, verse 5, but the goal of our instruction, notice again, Bible teaching, doctrine, Bible teaching, doctrine. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Bible instruction is meant to transform your life. When we get nothing out of Bible teaching, the problem isn't the Bible, the problem is the condition of the heart of the listener. Verse 6, for some men straying from these things, again back to the heresy, have turned aside 
apostatized, a fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Before you can get Timothy to war against false teaching in verse 3, he's got to keep Timothy from running out the door. Thus, the sermon title. You first have to confront quitting before you can confront error. That's like a duh, right? Because if there's no one here to confront error because they quit, how can error be confronted? If you want to keep the bank deposit secure, you've got to stop the run on the bank. So in verse 3, he's begging, urging Timothy not to quit and run. Letter A under Roman number 1, then three vital keys to not quitting the promotion of true doctrine. Doctrine is teachings, Bible teachings that are important. Three key vital terms to not quitting. First key number one, as we saw, is we need to obey apostolic urging. I'm urging. He's strongly exhorting Timothy. He's begging him to not quit. Urge is begging. The very fact that he has to beg him shows that even Christians under the authority of apostles were tempted, like Timothy, to not obey the apostles. Over the, over the years, sometimes I've heard people say, well, you're just a pastor. If there was an apostle in our church, I would obey him hands down. No, they had the same problem with the apostles, just like Christians have with pastors and teachers today. We're not apostles. We did not see the resurrected Lord, and we're not inspired by God. And we're not dictatorial. It went from dictatorial apostles to a plurality of elders in First Peter. So we're not apostles. Hebrews 13 says you're supposed to obey us. You obey us as long as we teach the word accurately. With apostles, you obeyed them singularly because they wrote the scriptures. And they were God's emissaries on earth for the planning of the church. So he urges. That's key number one in your note sheet. Key number two is where we're at right now. Look at the massive outline that unfolds under that point number two. Key number two remain. Look at all that down the front side of that note sheet. All the way on the back. Look at that. It's all on that term remain. Wow. What is remain? Prosmeno simply means be toward staying put. That's what it means, literally. Towards abiding, sticking around. If you're in my living room, and we had a little meeting, and then I said, okay, we're done, and you were to say to me, I think I'll remain. I think I'll remain. What does that mean? That means I'm sticking around, right? And then I'd probably say to you, how long are you going to remain in my living room? I'm sure Timothy was wondering about that himself when it says in verse 3, remain on in Ephesus. Second key term for not quitting. First one is obey apostolic urging, and you won't quit. Secondly, obey his command, like with Timothy, to remain. Fact underneath that, 
in your note sheet, whether it's one in the pulpit or in the pew, there are actually only five reasons in the Bible to leave a church. Before we talk more about remaining, I wanted to just do a mini side road last Sunday and today, giving you the five biblical reasons for quitting a church. Because we love a good quit. It's easier to quit than to remain, isn't it? Sure it is. Right? We don't fantasize on Monday morning at work, oh, I wished I could just remain. Oh, I just wished I could remain. It's always Monday, I wished I could stay home and quit. Quitting is easy. So let me give you the five easy ways to quit a church. The five biblical reasons. We looked at three of them last Sunday. They're there already typed out. When is it, a, when is it biblical to not remain in a church either as a pastor or a Christian? Five biblical reasons. Number one, a church that teaches heresy. Heresy is a violation of fundamental doctrines of the faith. False teaching. Literally, the word heresy, as we saw last Sunday in 2 Peter 2, is an opinion masquerading as truth. So if a church in its formal teaching structure is promoting heresy, one needs to leave. You can't convert a heretic. Don't even try. You run into a teacher in a Bible church that violates salvation issues and sanctification issues, get out of town as fast as you can. They can't be converted. How do we know that? 2 Timothy 2, as well as the whole epistle of Jude, says heretics are destined for hell. Number two, we saw last Sunday, a church that never confronts sin. It is foundational in Colossians 3, as we saw in Matthew um, 19. I think, well, I think I got that reference wrong, and I'm still getting that reference wrong. I better make sure of that. Uh, Matthew 19, I think it is. Let me just double-check that. The one on church discipline, Matthew 19. This time I got it right. Uh, Matthew 18 is dealing with divorce and remarriage. Matthew 19 is the issue of... Uh, actually, Matthew 19 is divorce and remarriage. <laughs> Oops! Matthew 18 is on church discipline. I've got my 18s and 19s backwards. Yikes. Okay, Matthew 18 is on discipline. And it talks about Christians in verse 15. This is a mandate. Rebellion has to be confronted. The issue of rebellion is very simple. It's not what sin, it's the attitude towards sin. And what we found in last time in Matthew 18, 15 is the essence of rebellion is not what sin is being committed. It's the refusal to listen to admonishment that is the essence of rebellion. Number three, the third reason to quit a church. So if a church never confronts sin and rebellion is just allowed to run, run hog wild in a church, you should quit. Ironically, what's in the top ten? John Stevens, what's in the top ten reasons some people have quit our church? Because we did carry out church discipline. They quit because we did what the Bible told us to do. You should quit when we don't church discipline. How backwards is that? And when I've confronted individuals who are out the door because we church discipline, I, they, they said, oh, I'm never going to come here or you do that type of thing. That's wrong. I said, what's well, in the Bible? I don't care if it's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. There's no more discussion after that. How backwards is that to quit because a church does it when we're to quit when it doesn't do it? Number three. We saw last week from Titus 1, a church with unbiblical eldership. And what would be the essence of unbiblical eldership at the end of the sermon? You're probably thinking about lunch. So let me give you the three reasons we learned last week. Unbiblical eldership equals this. Letter A, little letter A, women eldership. And that's abandoned today. It's not considered any big deal. 
Number two, reproached elders, not sinning elders, it's a reproach issue. That means their reputation has been permanently destroyed. Reproached elders. Or number three, cultic, one man running the show, elder, without a plurality of elders. So whenever you see women in eldership or deacons, reproached elders, in violation of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, if any of those 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 character qualities of an elder is violated, they're reproached. And number three, a dictator, one man running the show. Apostles were dictators. Elders are to be a plurality. We can only get down to three elders in our bylaws. We drop below that, we cease to exist. Titus 1, Paul told him to, told Titus to appoint Elders, plural, in every church. It's a plurality. Let's go to new material. Fourth reason why you can quit. Yay, I want to quit. When can I quit biblically? All right, number four. A church that allows unbelievers to serve and be members. A church that allows unbelievers to serve and be members. Why is this a foundational? Because it destroys the concept of the body of Christ. Destroying the concept of the body of Christ. This was a big deal back in the 70s with the rock, supposed semi-Christian rock, British-Irish rock band, U2. Not YouTube, U2, and it's still around today, Bono, who claimed to be a Christian. And the big hullabaloo, the big controversy back in the 70s, he's got unsaved band members with him. So that's a violation of this command that we're to do ministry well, we found out actually years later that uh, U2 did not have a mix of believers and unbelievers. They were all unbelievers. Bono is an apostate. He came out a few years ago at Wheaton College where he was speaking, which used to be Wheaton Bible College, basically saying we're all in this together in the world, universalism. So imagine back in the 70s, the church was pure enough to realize you can't have Believers and unbelievers serving in a church. So what do we do as a local church? Well, if there's no evidence of fruit ever in the person, we don't want them serving. And this comes back to the basic issue. Anyone can attend. No criteria for attending. Once you want to serve, now you've, there's a greater level of commitment and evidence of conversion. And if you want to teach, there's a higher level. And if you want to be an elder, there's a higher restricted level. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, it's 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 14. I'm having a hard time with my references today, I apologize. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's talking to believers, the last verse of verse thir- of chapter 13, verse 13 of chapter 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's talking about spiritual fruit, okay? And biblical love for believers only. Now, continuing that thought, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, pursue love. You can't pursue love if you're a believer. No unbelievers love, biblically, because it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Who do you need to love? You need the Spirit in order to love, Right? All right, so when he says pursue love, he's talking to believers, right? Yet desire earnestly spirituals, charismas, 
The word for charismatic is actually, we are charismatic, by the way. What does that mean? I'm shocked. That just means we believe in spiritual gifts. Okay, the biblical term charismas means spiritual gifts. We're not charismatic as far as the American definition of that. But especially you may prophesy. What's, oh, predicting the future. No, 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 no. No, prophecy is not the predicting of the future. It's defined in verse 3. What does one who prophesies do? He speaks to men for what? Edification, exhortation, consolation. That's almost exactly the same as 2 Timothy 3. Pastors are to reprove, rebuke, exhort. See, that's teaching. Prophecy defined right there in verse 3. We let the Bible define our terms. And we teach in the church. Edification means believers growing. This is for believers only. Are we clear on that? Okay. Go down to verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, whenever it's singular, it's according to context, it's a false manifestation. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There's no such thing as a godly, unfruitful mind. You do understand that, right? It's impossible. So the way you check this chapter out, that so many get confused on, it seems like he's promoting tongues in the church. Whenever it's singular, it's the demonic manifestation. Whenever it's plural in the Greek, it is the true gift. Okay? Verse 12 says, Since you are zealous of spirituals, seek to abound for the edification of the church. The purpose of spiritual gifts is for the church to grow. Okay? So it is extremely important that we realize the goal is to have church growth. He's confronting false gifts in verses 14 to 7. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the mind. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind. He doesn't want some false gibberish. He wants the mind to be operating. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, verse 16, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you're saying, he's attacking the demonic false manifestation of tongues. You can't have a gift that doesn't help you to know, that doesn't use the mind. Verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Anything that doesn't edify it in the church is a false gift. Edification refers to spiritual growth. You can't have unbelievers serving because they're not saved. Unbelievers aren't growing. How can they edify others when they're not growing? We don't let unbelievers serve in our church. Simple as that. Edification is only for believers. Verse 3. Edification is only for believers. Verse 17. Finally, number 5 in your note sheet. When is the time to quit a church which fellowships with heretical churches or organizations? Not just if you have heresy, but if we start fellowshipping with them. The doctrine of the Bible is we're to separate from heretics. A church is to separate. We're not to fellowship with false churches. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He insults in verse 13 and he admonishes in verse 12. You are not restrained by us, verse 12. You are restrained in your own affections. Um, Close down passion. They do not love Paul. That's Paul's way of saying the Corinthians hated him. Now he tells him in verse 13, open wide to us. 
open wide. This is like the will that is open wide to apostolic teaching. He's commanding. See, carnal Christians always are marked by two things in 2 Corinthians 6. Number one, they are completely hateful and unloving in verse 12, restrained in affection. And number two, they do not submit to apostolic teaching. So he's commanding them to open wide. Now, look what he says in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? The answer is none. Or what harmony is Christ with Belial? Unbelievers, verse 14. Lawlessness, verse 14. Darkness, verse 14. Belial, Lord of the flies, a word for Satan, verse 15. Would you please put all those terms together? Unbelievers, lawless, dark, Belial. They all go together. When a church, when we fellowship with churches that have unbelievers, are lawless, they don't teach the law, the word of God, have darkness in it, which would include heresy and apostasy that they're not dealing with, they're kicking out, then we are fellowshipping with Satan. A church is not to fellowship with Satan. This is extremely serious. Such churches that are false, verse 16, are idolatrous. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, we believers. Verse 17, therefore come out from their midst and be what? Separate. You mark it off. You don't in any way fellowship with unbelievers spiritually. You don't hang around them formally or informally. They're godless. They're idolatrous. We're to separate. They are unclean morally. This is where the Bible says very plainly, bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Our church will not fellowship with churches or organizations that are heretical. We've had to remove them from our mission support. We take a stand in not allowing Billy Graham Association and other organizations like him to come in because they are heretical. That's shocking. How could you say that about Billy Graham? When you walk down an aisle to get saved at a Billy Graham organization, at one of their evangelistic, even with Franklin in charge, you're going to walk in and have Catholic nuns leading you to Christ. What more do I need to say to that? Billy Graham, when he was alive in 1993, said that Muslims are believers. You can look it up on YouTube. We've talked about that before. So we took a big hit many decades ago when there was one of... Uh, the evangelistic groups like Billy Graham coming in and going to be at Calumet Park, and we said we're not going to be part of that. I was skewered. Interestingly, when you take a position of separation, you are considered the heretic. Isn't that ironic? Letter C. Simply put, then, to wrap up these five, we're to separate from any church which attacks any aspect of salvation and sanctification. Or any church which attacks those two foundational doctrines. Those are, the pin, those are the pillars of the church, salvation and sanctification. Romans 16. Romans 16. 
Commands aren't optional. You do realize that, right? It's not the 10 preferences we read this morning, and that's why I was glad for the perfect timing of reading the 10 commandments. It's not the 10 preferences, was it? It's the 10 what? Commandments? Do we have an option when it comes to obeying a command? No. Did that just say back there in 2 Corinthians 6, separate from false teachers, darkness? But we can do it anyways? Okay. Verse 17, Romans 16, verse 17. Is that begging again? Just like in 1 Timothy 1 with Timothy. See that in verse 17? Now I urge you, I beg you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching, the teaching, fundamentals, which you learned. And here's the command, eklino, turn away, fall away, bend around, get away from, separate. That's what turn away means from them. Where to apostatize from heretics and apostates, those that attack the teaching. For such men are slaves. False teachers are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've renounced the lordship of Christ. That's heresy. Separate from anyone who rejects the lordship of Jesus Christ. In the gospel or in sanctification. Is that a command or, pre- or is that a preference? What are they slaves of? Their own appetites. Appetites literally is the word koilia. It literally means belly, but it is not that they're gluttons. This is a generic term in secular Greek for the flesh. They live not for the lordship of Christ, but for their own sins. They do not repent. That's what he's saying. Notice that heretics, and they're heretics because they're attacking teaching, false teaching in verse 17. Notice what they're marked by. Their character is smooth and flattering speech, and they deceive They deceive continuously. Same word as in 1 Timothy 2, verse 14. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Unsuspecting, what is that? A naive Christian, a Bible-ignorant Christian. So we're not to be unsuspecting, but we're to be innocent in verse 19. Innocent in what is evil, but not unsuspecting. We're not to be naive, but we are to be pure. Not to be naive. What does unsuspecting mean? Wide open to anyone who teaches on radio, television. Doesn't matter whether it's John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or um, Joe Stoll or Joyce Meyer. Doesn't matter. Wide open. They're all good. We all get good out of them. That's that word naive right there. Only those that are unsuspecting, naive, spiritually, ekakas, having no mind, they can't discern right from wrong. This is so scary. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So in a Bible-ignorant day and age, you're going to find churches are overrun by heresy. So now, once again, we're to separate from false teaching, but when we do that, we're the ones branded as hateful and heretical. Everything's inverted. What is wrong is right, and what is right is wrong. 
1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 20. 1 Timothy 6.20 O Timothy, guard, fulasso, military guard, be a sentry over what has been entrusted to you. What was entrusted to Timothy? The word of God. Now notice separation, avoiding, separation, avoid. Worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments. Opposing to what? Truth. Of what is falsely called knowledge. It is heresy. Guard, truth, stay away from heresy. Go back earlier in the chapter, in verse 3. If anyone advocates, one word in the Greek, advocates a different doctrine, it's heterodidaskalion, it means to promote heresy, heteros, that of a fundamentally different nature than truth. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, sound words, what are sound words? He defines it. Those of our Lord Jesus Christ, that would be the gospel of salvation, and with combined with a doctrine conforming to godliness, anything that attacks sanctification. Therefore, your letter C. We separate from any church what attacks any aspect of salvation and sanctification. Underneath letter C, then, rebellion that is allowed in a church and one confronted and will not deal with it we need to separate from it. When churches are in rebellion, we separate from them. When churches are in rebellion, we separate from them. It doesn't matter even if they're in the IFCA. I knew an IFCA church years ago that had a, a, an avowed, testified homosexual serving in that church. An IFCA church. I confronted the pastor and I confronted the church. He did nothing with it. And I have saved Fundamental Bible Church. Instant separation. That was it for us. That's rebellion. Rebellion that is allowed in a church and when confronted and not dealt with must be separated from. Rebellion in a church, missionary organization, Bible school, whatever. Wherever there's rebellion and it's confronted and they don't deal with it, we separate. If there's rebellion in our own church, we church discipline it. You have the only five reasons I have found biblically to leave a church. There they are right there. If our church violates any of those, you leave. I've never had in 36 years, please mark this, I've never had once in 36 years a professed Christian quit this church for one of those five reasons. Not once. What are the reasons they quit? Well, in the top ten, like I mentioned, church discipline, forget that. Number two, teaching is too long and too negative. Is that in your five? Number three, the music stinks. So let me give you the hit list. Do I have a biblical right to leave a church because of old, poor music? Nope. Do I have a biblical right to leave because of a boring worship order? 
Is that in the five? Do I have a biblical right to leave because the sermon is not culturally relevant? Nope. So we're comparing these to the five, right? Do I have a biblical right to leave because there's no youth group? Oh, I had people quit for that one. My kids need a youth group. I'm quitting. Youth don't need a youth group. You know what the youth need? Salvation and sanctification. They need the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Oh, this is a big one I've had in the past. You have a biblical right to leave because there aren't any marriage prospects. No. Sorry. We're not a dating club. Yes, I've had individuals leave because of the next one. Do we have a biblical right to leave because of poor parking and no AC? Do I have a biblical right to leave because we don't use King James Bible? No. Do I have a biblical right to leave because the sermons always make me feel guilty? That's what sermons are supposed to do. 2 Timothy 4, reprove, rebuke, admonish. What are we reproving, rebuking, and admonishing? Sin, so you will feel. Oh, here's another one of the top ten. My people have left our church. You have a biblical right to leave because the church is unfriendly. Didn't hear a nope on that one. <laughs> no. Or the subcategory to that one. There's little clicks. Is that in those five there? Did I miss that one? Thou shalt, oh, there it is. Thou shalt leave the church because there are clicks. Is that a click? Click noise? Snap. Oh. Interpretive. That's your interpretation, not mine. We have a biblical right to leave because there are sinners at church who act real bad. That's all of us. <laughs> wow. Do I have a biblical right to leave the church because it's in a bad area? I have people who won't come to this church because it's in a bad area. Or this dark, insidious one. Do I have a biblical right to leave because another race has moved into the community? Our church has stayed put. When I came here in 1987, this was all Anglo, Italian, a few German. They all left. So, we're here to reach the lost. Aren't humans lost? So who cares what their ethnicity is? I don't care. If they're unsaved, we reach them. History of fundamentalism is when the whites get going, God's people get going too. I've been berated by IFC pastors. You're staying in a bad area, small church, crime, different ethnicity. I had one say, how can you reach Latins when you don't speak the language and you're white? 
I do what I do with anyone. I love them to Christ. We have a biblical right to leave because the church is so small. Do I have a biblical right to leave a church because no one is getting saved? I've been told that one. The Spirit's not working in your church, so you should leave. Oh, so Jeremiah had two converts in 42 years. He was bad. He should have quit, right? Do I have a biblical right to leave because believers don't seem to be growing? Do I have a biblical right to leave because prayer meetings are a shambles? No. Would you look around? You endured. But you all know our pews are empty because most people left for one of those reasons. Some left for that. You endured and stayed put. You don't think there's a reward for that in heaven? Do not be ashamed at the emptiness of our church. There will always in the last days only be a remnant. Say, well, John, this isn't really, you know, like really too radical. You said the sermon was going to be radical. I haven't gotten to the radical yet. It's the next point. And thank heavens I'm saved by the bell. Backside. So if my church doesn't violate those five areas, I need to remain? Yes. Yes, please. Just like Timothy? Yeah? This rubs against American believers the wrong way. It even scares them. I'm entering into dangerous territory. You mean I need to remain? Yeah? Telling your average American, freedom-loving Christian they don't have a right to go anywhere they want to for church is absolutely seen as a cult conviction. And you may possibly agree. Just hang with me. Keep an open mind. Though I'm talking to the enduring ones, you still might think that you can have a personal opinion to leave for some reason. So just have, a, just have an open mind, right? Fair enough. Just hear me out. Go back to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. Let's answer this letter D. Paul told Timothy to remain, right? How long? How long? You go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ephesian church had heresy in it. Why didn't he tell them to leave? The heretics don't seem to be in the leadership structure because he's telling Timothy to get them out. We've had that happen. There's somebody downstairs teaching heresy in Sunday school. We kicked them out. So when we talk about you leave a church that has heresy, we're talking about heresy that is promoted in the formal leadership structure of the church. So that one we can set aside. There's no contradiction there. But how about this one? How long does Timothy have to say? It doesn't say how long. Well, he'd stay until one of those five reasons for quitting would be in force, I would assume, right? Yeah. He doesn't tell him to quit but to remain, because he's to stay there as long as he's supposed to. And how long is that? 
how long are you supposed to stay in a church that's orthodox? Okay, uh, oh my goodness, there's something on the floor here again. Permanently. Oh, come on. That doesn't sound right. I should have the right to go to any church I want, John. Pastor John, why is it wrong to just come or go from a church based on personal preference? I mean, if I shop at Walmart and then stop and go to Target instead, it doesn't mean I'm quitting shopping. I'm just going somewhere else. It's not wrong to stop going to McDonald's and changing to Burger King, isn't it? Well, I may have a debate on that one. But anyways, no, John, it's not wrong. That doesn't mean I'm stopping eating because I switch restaurants. So why can't I hop around to get to a church I want? It doesn't mean I hate church. Come on, John. Okay. Let me just say this. You definitely have an American right to go to any church you want. You have that American right. There's no debate on that. The issue is, do you have a biblical right to jump from one good Bible-believing church to another based on preference? And my answer would be no. And people would say, that sounds like a cult to me. Listen, no one's going to stop you from quitting this church. The issue is whether you want to be in God's will or not. The doors are locked coming in, not going out. If you tell me you're quitting today and you're walking down the aisle, I don't have a lasso and a rope here. And I'm going to whip it around your neck and drag you back. We don't chain the doors once you're here. You could quit anytime you want. The issue here is, do we want to be in God's will? That's the issue. So, in your application, number one, such a line of reasoning is comparing stores and restaurants to a church. That's not right to do. Don't compare this switching from Walmart to Target. Write it on the blank line. We're not, a, we're not a Walmart. We're not a store. These are not the same. Don't win an argument by comparing church to something that it isn't. Apples and oranges comparisons are foolish. And change any store you want. Paul's not telling Timothy to remain at Walmart. Church isn't a store. Do you know why the church is not a store? We're not customers buying services here. We're here serving as slaves the lordship of Jesus Christ. At a store, you get what you want and buy it. Here, we were given what we didn't want, grace and salvation, and we didn't earn it, and now we're sacrificing ourselves to the one who gave it to us. That's not a shopping experience. Forget that. Number two. Stores and restaurants are non-moral, personal preferences. Stores and restaurants are non-moral, personal preferences. But where we serve and worship is biblically mandated. According to Hebrews 10, and over there, you have some things you're supposed to do. You've got to be in a Bible-believing church to do it. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 22, Hebrews 10, 22, talking to believers, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance and of faith. Let us draw near, that's together in a local church, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that's repentance, our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast our confession, Hebrews 10.23, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Notice what we're called to do, verse 24. And let us continuously consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We don't have a right to quit a local church based on personal preference. Any store that sells the goods you want is fine. Any church that sells any type of Christianity is not fine. Well, those who still think this is a cult have another argument, and it's in your note sheet in italicized purple. Okay, Pastor, that's true. One can't go to any church regardless of what it teaches. But what about just going from one Bible-believing church to another based on personal preference? How is that wrong? Well, let me start with a basic common sense issue before we get into the Bible. Folks, no one leaves one church to go to another based on non-moral choices like we do with stores. Christians quit one church to go to another due to some gripe. Let's be honest. No one ever said to me, I don't the fact the pews have some of the varnish rubbed off. I'm quitting. It's always a gripe. Or due to some sin, I don't want to hear the teaching anymore. Or an unbiblical assessment of the church like I just read. Not liking the style of the music, the teaching, no marriage prospects, yada yada. Those aren't all right reasons for quitting. They're disunifying. They destroy churches. Never had anyone who just had a personal preference. I like sunshine. You like rain. I went to Eastside Bible Church. No reason I'm leaving. Just personal preference. No reason whatsoever. Never met anybody like that. Come on. But let's grant the debate some credence anyways. Beyond that issue that it's always a gripe fest and an unbiblical reason why people leave. The question is, does God call every believer to a specific mission field and church to serve in? Or does none of that matter? I believe it does matter. We believe that about missionaries and pastors. Here's where we're double-minded. What if I got up this morning at the end of the sermon here and said, I'm quitting. And you say, why? Personal preference. I don't feel like being here anymore. Would anybody be satisfied with that as a legitimate answer? Personal preference. What if we had one of our missionaries, let's say Kirk Levy gets up, I quit serving in Devar Emmett. Why? Didn't feel like it. That's an abomination. Why? Because we believe that missionaries and pastors are called to a specific mission field, right? Ah! But in the pew we can do that? So the only fundamental difference between you and me, you can quit the church because you feel like it, personal preference, but I can't, is because I'm full-time and you're part-time? Because there's no full-time or part-time in the Bible. And by the way, Paul was part-time missionary. Did you know that? He was a full-time tent maker. See, we have a double legalistic standard. You feel you have, not you, but you all in the body of Christ feel in the pews you can quit anytime you want. It's like going shopping. But that pastor up there, he quit because he didn't feel like it. That's wrong. Can you imagine Fred Stonehouse coming home from Scotland saying, we quit the mission field. And we say, why? I didn't feel like it. I'm kind of bored with it. It's personal preference anyways. You wouldn't accept that, would you? Would you accept that from a missionary? No. Would you accept that from a pastor? We consider that godless. You see, we've established a legalistic mindset that really only full-time missionaries and pastors are called. Wait a minute. We just read 1 Corinthians 14. We all have gifts that we're supposed to be serving with, right? Okay. 
we have a mandate as well. Do you see what I'm getting at, folks? What I'm saying is the idea that in the pew you can come or go in its personal preference, one Bible church over another, what does it matter? You don't have that standard for me and you don't have that standard for missionaries. Why do you have it if you do for yourself? So, number three. God has a specific calling for every believer in two areas. Evangelism and service in a local church with one's gifts. He wants you in a specific church part-time versus full-time. has nothing to do with it. Can a pastor go to any old church he wants? Or does he ask God to direct his steps to the place that God wants him? Does a missionary full-time, can he just say, I just go anywhere I want, who cares? Or does he pray or she pray as a missionary, God, direct me to the field you want? Hmm. So evangelism and service, if that's true for the full-time, it's true for the part-time. You can't quit until God moves you on out of this church. Do I need to duck under the pulpit again? My goodness, John, if I knew that, I wouldn't have come here to begin with. I didn't know that once I got in here, I was trapped. No, you're an American. You can quit anytime you want. Next time, next month, we'll do number four. I want a biblical basis for this, John. Okay, that I'll give you. Number four, next time. Whole sermon on it. Does God have a specific mission field and church he desires all of us to serve in? The answer in your note sheet is yes. How so? I will give you examples. And then we will establish the theology of how you remain until God moves you out circumstantially. I will give you the basis for that scripturally for number four, an entire sermon. So I'm just saying to you, that's how I see it. I asked you to have an open mind. If you disagree... Don't say to me or to say to the Lord, I believe different, have a biblical basis for it. I promise you, number four, I will give you the justification from the Bible that just like the missionary and pastor, so it is you. You're here because God called you here and directed you here, and you remain like Timothy until God directs you otherwise or until one of the five biblical reasons for quitting a church occurs here. That's why I've stayed put, Sue and I. Okay? We didn't have a biblical basis for leaving, and boy, we've been pressured by many family, friends, and co workers in the ministry that have told us we're nuts. I lost one major Christian pastor friend because I persevered in here, and he never talked to me again. He'd lined up a church of 400 in Kansas, and when I couldn't go there because they had heresy in their doctrine, he never talked to me again wouldn't answer my emails. He was done with me because I righteously, in the power of the Spirit, obeyed the command to endure. How is that evil to endure? So by God's grace and power only, Sue and I are telling you, before the Lord right now, we will never quit this church unless we die, get raptured, the church closes or it violates one of those five criteria. 
Who's willing to remain with me under those criteria? Raise your hand if you are. You are because you already have. You already have. Good for you. And is that a cult? No. Just remember this about a cult. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. And there's none in the church waiting for you when you walk out the door. John, if I never come back here again, will you hate me? No, I won't hate you. You're an American. You have rights. You disappear and never come back. That's one less. Pew's more empty. And Sue and I will just keep doing it till the last man is standing. For the glory of God. And these precious people in front of me have made that commitment as well. And it is so hard to lose so many and to call after them, please, don't quit. We need you. And they leave anyways. Help us, Lord. Honor yourself through we who are sinners and can't take any credit for our endurance because it's a work of grace. I'll quit any day of the week when I'm walking in the flesh, Lord. I can't trust myself. And we will stand in the gap with our swords drawn at Thermopylae's and we will face as Greek soldiers, 300 of us as Spartans, we will face the Persian hordes of wickedness in the church today, and we will stand fast with sword drawn, enduring the suffering of people who quit so easily. And may we be found at the rapture, serving in a difficult ministry like this, for your glory. As we know then, you will say, well done, good and faithful slave. Jesus, you're our example. You came to minister specifically to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and when everyone deserted you, you still all alone went to the cross for us. May we do the same here. In Jesus' name, amen.